0: John chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 1 to 24 and then skip down to verse 37. Uh, So John chapter 7, would you give your attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired word? Uh, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Uh, He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews, uh, the Jews feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me Because I testify about it that it works, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, when he uh, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he is leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Jesus answered them. I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances on him. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, you know that you can um, walk into a room, and if you say the right things, you can create chaos. Uh, and you will know, I'm, ass- I'm sure, what those right things would be based on the room you walk into. I suppose in some settings, though it doesn't seem to be an issue here, things like War Eagle and War Roll Tide don't seem to cause a whole lot of argument and consternation, and that's fine, since I don't like either one of them. But we do know, we we are aware that if we if we say things political, if we say things religious, if we... Um, if we want to sort of stir up an argument, if we want to stir the pot as it were, then we can offer our views on the college football playoff or on the, um, the those running for office. And we know good and well that we can sort of the red in people's necks will gradually rise. Well, this passage shows us that the reality is you can walk into a room And drop the name of Jesus and cause just that same reaction. We see reactions of the people in the room, as it were, to Jesus and to who he is and what he has done. Walk into a room and say, Jesus is the Son of God, the only way of salvation. And you will get a variety of reactions. Some of them are pictured for us right here in John chapter 7. And I'll tell you, I'm 90% sure that I stole this outline. Uh, But I wish I could remember where I stole it. So I wouldn't, nobody would say, look, when he's just, you know, taking somebody. I wish I I listened to sermons as I was coming back on Wednesday from taking my mom back to South Carolina. And uh, I don't remember where I got this. But anyway, first, I want you to see hostility toward Jesus. Notice in verse 1, John tells us, um, actually, John covers Six or seven, eight months of, of the calendar in, in one sort of brush of the hand, right? Jesus went about in Galilee. That, by the way, that ministry is the focus of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They get all sorts of attention to Jesus's ministry in Galilee. John just kind of tells you he was there. But more importantly, John tells you why he was there. Because did you notice the rest of the verse? Jesus went about in Galilee. Why? Well, because he wasn't going to go about in Judea because the Jewish people there wanted him dead. The reaction to Jesus already. I mean, we're only seven chapters in. And there's already this this plot to kill Jesus and and at some level it shouldn't surprise us even in in our world that the mention of Jesus might make people angry and make you want to say no you can't say that and to to say you have to be quiet and you're not allowed to say those words and that's hate speech and you're not allowed to use that kind of language because the reality is this has always been the case and and John's been showing us this for several chapters now Th- this isn't the first time we've seen this we can back up several chapters and see this pattern over and over again. And this passage is actually still dealing with the fallout from healing the man by the pool back at the beginning of chapter 5. Because in 5.18, we're told the people wanted to kill Jesus. And in verse 23 here of chapter 7, he looks back to that event. He connects the anger of the Jewish leaders to I healed a guy head to toe, he was paralyzed right he he couldn't he had a mat, he was on his mat, he was paralyzed he he couldn 't get into the pool he couldn't heal himself he couldn 't save himself and so Jesus healed him, and then the the leaders see him walking around carrying his mat under his arm and And Jesus is guilty. The man is guilty of breaking the fourth commandment. Jesus is guilty of breaking the fourth commandment, which is part of the point here. Their anger here. For us, a couple of chapters later, for them, several months later, is still rooted in that event. And what's interesting is that in verse 19 and then in verse 25, you see people in uh, verse 19, Jesus says, Why do you seek to kill me? In verse 25, some of the people there are, recognize that this is the guy that those people want to kill. In other words, it's not a surprise to anybody that Jesus' life is in danger. And that's part of the point in verses 25 to 27. This is the guy they want to kill, and he's just standing there teaching. And nobody does anything. Like nobody reacts. Nobody but they know that's the guy that the leaders want to kill. Jesus' life is in danger for something he did months ago, and his anger the anger of the crowds, the anger of the the Jewish leaders continues. And what's interesting is that everybody knows it. Jesus knows it. The crowds know it. The Pharisees know it, of course. But down in verse 47, which we didn't read, but they actually want to sort of cover it up. Right? They send officers to arrest Jesus, and they come back empty-handed because they're like, Jesus is not like most normal people we go to arrest. And their response is, has he duped you also? He's tricked you too? Some of these people, uh, depending on who's in the room, some of these people have seen Jesus do things that no mere man does, that no mere human can do. Some of these people Uh, He's turned water into wine back in chapter 2. That's not a natural process. It violates all sorts of laws of nature to turn water into wine like that. And yet, that was a small crowd of people that actually saw it. But word gets around. You're the steward, and you watch this guest turn these vats of water into wine. You're not keeping that a secret you 're going to one up your friends if nothing else you think that 's crazy. let me tell you what I saw they've they 've seen him feed thousands of people with very not very much food they 've seen him john tells us perform other signs and wonders in other words they 've watched Jesus sort of manifest his power and authority over creation itself and are angry at Him. Like, think of the times you have thought or the times, well, the times your friends have thought because we know better, right? The times your friends, someone I know once said, you know, if only Jesus would blank, then I'd believe. If Jesus would just, yeah, I don't know, make that chair move, right? If Jesus would suddenly, you know, lift the roof off of this, if Jesus would only do this thing, right? If he would turn, I don't know, this book into a bird, then I believe we, that's the kind of stuff people say, like if he's really who he says he is, then have him prove it to me but is seeing really believing it wasn't here. It's not in John seven. So why would it be in 2023, right? 2024 tomorrow. I'm glad it wasn't already because I would have missed that. But I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that then. So why would it be enough now? And yet as, as we read the U.S. census reports and the nuns and the unchurched and the dechurched continue to grow on those census reports, we somehow get scared that Jesus is losing. We somehow get scared that, oh man, we thought we had, you know, Jesus, we thought you had His arm pinned. You're in this arm wrestling match and then suddenly you're losing and you're, now you're on the wrong end of this battle. And then we're surprised when people react harshly or angrily at a confession that Jesus saves. It shouldn't surprise us at all. But the reality is, it's not like the world's getting darker. It's not like that's new. It's right here in Jesus' own life. And they have the access to the things that we think would prove to us that Jesus is who He says He is. And they still didn't believe. There have always been people who refuse to acknowledge who Jesus is. But maybe what frightens us more is verse 13, for example. Because in verse 13, people are prepared to sort of Offer their opinion about Jesus. And yet they didn't say anything. Why? Because they were afraid. Of the very people. Who wanted to kill Jesus. It's entirely possible. And actually John's later going to tell us. It's likely. But we'll save that for later. That those who identify with Christ will face the same hostility he does. And that shouldn't surprise us. John's almost warning us now. Again, he's going he's to be clearer about it later. But John's sort of tipping us off to the fact that there is not just the possibility of, of creating animosity and stirring the pot and, and creating chaos in a crowd. If you walk in and say, Jesus is Lord... Not only will they be angry at Jesus, but they will be angry with you. And this passage reminds us that identifying Christ, claiming with Christ, claiming Christ could cost you things like friends. It could cost you jobs. It could even perhaps, we pray it's not so, but certainly could cost you your life. You can read church history. And see the history of the church riddled with those very people. Hostility toward Jesus. But second, in this chapter, there's also uncertainty about Jesus. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being Jesus' younger brother? I mean, just think about it. I mean, those of you that are younger siblings, those of you that, that have older siblings, you kind of know the, the pain and the struggle. You know, I'm always being picked on and they're jabbing at me and they're doing all this and they're doing all that. Imagine being Jesus, younger brother. He never talked back to mom and dad. He always cleaned his room when he was told to. We we know he has siblings, right? I mean, they're in this chapter, and we have the the book of James and the book of Jude, both written by Jesus's younger brothers. But, but it's almost easier to have an older brother who belittles you than to have one that never did. It would almost be easier to live with one that that mocks you and makes fun of you and and you know gives you headaches and causes you pain and conflict in your life than to have one who never did those things, who always did exactly what he was told to do. And younger siblings have sort of this front row seat. They've watched him grow up. They've seen his sinlessness. They've watched as each of them along the way got a spanking and Jesus never did They've they've seen Him His entire life. They have this front row seat to the true person and work of who Jesus is. And yet, verse 5, they don't believe in Him. James and Jude will write James and Jude, but they won't believe until after the resurrection, after the ascension. It's not until much later that Jesus' siblings come to saving faith. And if you look in verses Three and four, they love their older brother and have a wonderful plan for his life. They think it's time to go public. Right? They, they have this notion that he needs to go to the Feast of Booths and he needs to do these things publicly. Notice verse 4, no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Every politician, when they kiss a baby, there's a camera. And if there's a camera, they're going to kiss a baby. Every politician has an Instagram account following him around, following her around to publicize, to make, to make sure everybody can see and hear all these great, wonderful things they're doing because what they need is public approval, public sentiment. They have to go public. Their election depends on it. That's the mentality that Jesus' brothers have. Jesus, you need to go to the Feast of Booths. Why? Well, because all the Jews are going to be there. This is one of these required week-long feasts, these celebrations that celebrate the the bringing in the first fruits of harvest, which we uh, just read about a few minutes ago. And that's where you should go because that's where your disciples will be. And in fact, those that left you in the last chapter, right? We, we read a few minutes ago, I mean, a few weeks ago of, of his disciples, some of his disciples, not the 12, mind you, but some of the other disciples who said, this is too much for me. I'm out. I'm leaving. Well, Jesus, this is your chance to get them back. You're losing voters. You need more voters. You're losing public opinion. You're, you're losing in, the, in all the polls and you need to get them back. And Jesus says, look, this is it's not yet my time to go to the feast. Uh, by the way, I think that's what the my time has not yet come. That's not that's not a reference to his crucifixion. That's that's it's reference to this specific event, by the way. But these his own brothers misunderstand that he's not in a popularity contest. He's not in a, a beauty pageant. He, we don't need to, to paint him up or dress him up or airbrush Jesus to make him more acceptable to the masses. Jesus isn't about a popularity opinion contest. He doesn't need his polling opinion to go up in order to actually be the Son of God and actually be the Savior. He's that regardless of the reactions of the people around him. And what the masses needed and what the masses need even today, is God's Word faithfully and boldly proclaimed. They need Jesus glorified as He truly is. They need to behold Jesus as He's offered in the Gospel so that they might believe in Him. Which, by the way, is the theme of John's Gospel. Behold and believe. It's not the church's job to do a little bit of work to make him look a little more appealing to add a little here to take away a little there so that everyone will believe in him. The reality is his brothers don't understand, but that seems to be going around. They're not the only ones. There are lots of people who don't get it. You see in verses 12 and 13, for example. He's a good man. No, he's leading people astray. People are confused. The opinions vary greatly or look down again in verses 25 to 27 again we didn't read these verses but isn't this the guy they're trying to kill maybe they think here he is speaking openly well it must be that they really know he actually is the christ and they can't do anything about him publicly but the problem is he comes from the wrong place he can't be the christ because we know where he's comes from it comes from and and nothing good comes out of nazareth anyway and this can't be right they're so Confused about who he is. You can, down in verses 40 to 43, the same thing. This is the prophet. This is the Christ. But some said, is this the Christ? This comes from the wrong place. We know his mom and them. And this, he can't, he can't be the Christ. We know his people. And for that matter, if you just, read the chapter looking at all the questions that either people ask about who Jesus is or Jesus asks the people about who he is it it seems to sort of elevate the reality that people just don't know people are uncertain about who Jesus is there's hosti- hostility toward Jesus there's uncertainty about Jesus and then finally an invitation from Jesus How would you respond to people rejecting you? How would you respond to people that you know want you dead? What's your reaction to other people that you know don't like you and want nothing to do? Are those the people you would invite to your Christmas party? No, you're going to invite the people you know want to be there and would actually be fun to be around. And you're not going to invite the the drags. You're not going to in, invite the people that are just going to weigh the party down and sort of the Debbie Downers and whatnot. You're, you're going to invite fun people and friends and people that are close and people that you know and people that you know care about you. Notice Jesus' reaction. Notice how Jesus responds to people who are uncertain and who are hostile to him because right in the middle of the chapter verses 37 to 39, Jesus sends out an invitation to all of them. He stands up and he cries out, by the way, that word cry out in verse 37 is the same Greek word as proclaim in verse 28. Just Just so your own, I wish more English translators would sort of maintain that so that a Greek reader could see, hey, these are the same words and an English reader loses that. How great would it be if English translation sort of maintained that parallel so we could see the repetition of the word? The the point is the word carries with it literally volume. It's not something that you say. It's not something you say to a couple of people, but you're standing up in a room and you're proclaiming and crying out so that the masses might hear you. Each day of the feast, uh, the feast of booths, the priest would go and collect water in a gold pitcher from the pool of Siloam, Siloam, whatever. Um, and, And then there's this procession and fanfare and celebration and he would bring it up to the temple uh, through the water gate into the temple and pour it around uh, the altar and there would be this sort of daily ritual of of gathering water from this pool and pouring it out there at the altar so it's again another situation of jesus using a physical reality physical visible Hey, there's water. Hey, the people have been seeing this for days because it's the now the last day of the feast. And the people have been watching as this water gets poured out, this water gets poured out, this water gets poured out over and over again. And Jesus connects himself to that water, that that pouring of the water would remind the Jewish people of the water that 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 flowed from the rock. When God provided water for the people in the wilderness. Uh, It would remind them of uh, the well mentioned in Isaiah 12. uh, The well of salvation. There's all these pictures throughout the Old Testament of water related to God's provision. And God offering deliverance and salvation for his people. And so Jesus takes that opportunity. He takes that sort of. Visible picture to say. If anyone thirsts. Come to me. Jesus says, look all this time that water has been pointing to me. The water of the rock that provided for the people is really a picture of me. The well of salvation is really a picture of me. The water you're pouring out around this altar is to remind you of the promised Messiah. And he cries out to these people, come to me and drink and you will never have to drink again. See, the truth is, even the Israelites in the wilderness, yeah, there was water flowing from the rock. But every time they got thirsty, they had to go get another cup full. Every time they they needed more, they would go back and fill up their cups. And this water rite, this feast of booths, water rite, water celebration sort of points to the fact that Jesus says, look, you you fill your cup, you drink from me, and that you will never, ever thirst again. These waters come and go. The priest did this yesterday. He did it the day before. This water comes, he'll do it next year when we celebrate this feast again this has been going on for a couple hundred years this has been going on you know for generations now this water comes and goes but i don't jesus says to his people we do realize i mean christians get thirsty right you 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 play golf you drink water you play sports, you drink water. You get thirsty throughout the day, you drink water. Some of you carry Nalgene bottles or whatever bottles around with you all the time because we know it's good to drink water and because we get thirsty. That's not what Jesus means. He doesn't mean that if you just fill up your little cup full of water like this and drink this, then you'll never have to drink that water again. It's not physical, it's It's spiritual water. It's the water he promised to the woman at the well just a few chapters ago. He takes that which is visible and and tangible and present in the room or in where he is and uses that to make a spiritual point. In other words, if you're thirsty, come to Jesus and drink. Drink. If you're thirsty, come and drink from the well that is Jesus. But there's an implication here, even in the way Jesus says what he says in verses 37 and 38. See, sometimes people are thirsty and they don't know it. Part of what Jesus is saying here is not just if you know you're thirsty, but the reality is, You are all thirsty, whether you recognize it or not. Not, well, when you recognize it, you can come and drink, whatever. Part of what he's saying is, you all need me. You all need to come and drink from the well that is Christ. But then there's something else going on in verse 38. Did you notice it? Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. There's a there's a sense in which, look, we, we're all amazed. We're, we're all. Well, we sing amazing grace, right? We're all amazed that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We all know that it's not the labors of my hands simply to the the cross I cling, right? It's not my work that saves me. It's the work of Christ that saves me, that our salvation is all of God's grace. But have you ever thought to take the next step? Not only is it all of His grace that you would be saved at all, but his plan is for those saved people to share that gospel to share that salvation with other people who need it like that's his like you think about yourself you go i'm so unworthy of this salvation no no you're equally unworthy maybe even more so to then turn around and be a conduit of that salvation by grace to others in other words, there's this picture here that those, there's no better way to do this, right? That those who are are have, are piped into the well that is Jesus become a pipe, become a conduit for that living water to other people. And in many ways, he said this about the spirit. It's the spirit who is the pump that causes that water to flow. That's the work of God's grace in our lives. Jesus is the well. We become the conduit while the Spirit is the pump that activates the flow of water. Are you thirsty? Nothing can quench your thirst but Jesus. And may God grant us the grace that we might drink from the well that is Christ and serve as God's conduits so that others might drink also. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank You for salvation that is all of Your grace that we come to Christ and there drink and be filled and never need anything else, never need a different well, never need to drink again. Uh, But we pray that You would use us, uh, that we would... Um, dig deeply into the well that is Christ, so to speak. That we might be filled, but that we might be overflowed and that this message of salvation, this offer of the gospel would go to people around us who are hostile and who are uncertain. Who at just the mention of the name of Jesus get angry, get confused, don't know what to think. Father, we pray that you would use us to gather in your people, to grow your kingdom, and to honor and glorify Christ. We ask all this in his name and for his sake. Amen.